Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Dr. Kelly Jones. And this is Big. Strong. Yes. Welcome to Big Strong Yes, the show where we share our journey of reading three books that are inspiring us to embrace courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. Rising Strong by Dr. Brene Brown, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. We are most active on Twitter, so follow hashtag BigStrongYes for announcements and discussion. Follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones. You can also email us for those longer messages you really want to send at BSY for BigStrongYes at Chipperish.com. If you're a Patreon supporter, we have a Big Strong Yes chat room on Discord where we hang out, but mostly there's just magic happening there, y'all. Yeah. The people who are in that space are amazing, and they are being fiercely kind to each other, and I love it. It's intimate, it's private to the Patreon supporters, and you can go over 140 characters, or if Twitter loves you more than it loves me, you can go over 280. So join us that? at patreon.com slash chipperish. I heard about that. Some people are able to yeah. tweet for 280, but not everybody. I'm not one of the chosen few. I'm, I'm still not at one of the 140. Either. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. But anyway, thank you to everyone for the support that you've been giving the show and for participating with us online. Your tweets, your graphics, your comments, the reviews, they mean so much to us and it's really amazing but if you enjoy big strong yes please give us a review on apple Podcasts. that is the best way that you can promote any podcast you love so if you love a podcast that you don't think is getting enough love whether it be us a chipperish podcast or something else go to apple podcasts go ahead and leave your review it is one of the best things that you can do to show support for the podcasters that you love absolutely yep um, so the reading we'll be discussing today is Big Magic Part 2, Enchantment, from which we created a Part 2, From Ownership Through a Dazzled Heart. Next week's reading is Big Magic Part 3, Permission, from Remove the Suggestion Box through Try This Instead. So we're dividing the sections of this book up to give the reading the attention it deserves. You can go to chipperish.com and search Big Strong Yes Schedule to find all the information about what we're reading and when, and the link is in the show notes. Yes, so you can absolutely find that information about what the what the readings are, and I know the pages, depending on whether you have the um, the paperback or the hardcover, or whatever, can change a little bit. So we're going by the the little headers for the the sub chapter sort of things that yeah, she's doing. Yeah, which are so lovely. They and really so well are. worded. Mm-hmm. I just love them. Yeah, they're really, really good. So, want to jump into homework? Okay, let's jump into homework. Okay. How did your homework go this week? Well, Dr. Jones, I have to tell you, I didn't... (laughs) I have to make my confession. I didn't really do a lot of the homework. I have... So many things going on right now, um, just with everything that I have to do that I'm finding myself kind of up against it um, and not able to get as much done as I wanted to. I was uh, hoping to be able to spend more time in the novel this week, and um, I wasn't able to do that. We were also going to do the singing thing, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and I did. I found like this online singing guy who had all this great advice, and he had like five different um, warm-ups and all this kind of stuff that you're supposed to do. But the thing is that like he is not for bad singers who are trying to be mediocre singers he's for good singers who are trying to be better singers mm. and I feel like the advice he's giving me is a little bit high level it's a little bit varsity for me and I am not even yet on the JV team when it comes to this sort of thing so um so I think I need to find somebody who's like you know one 
of those people who's like, you know, singing for people who've been asked not to sing, that kind of yeah, thing. I need, I need somebody I mean. to start me at like a low level of just getting basically better. Because the thing is that like I, um, I, my throat gets sore all the time. Like if I'm doing a talk or, you know, if I'm, if I talk somewhere for more than a couple of hours, like my throat gets really, really sore. I think there's something in the way that I speak mm. that that doesn't utilize like that low chest kind of thing that like yeah. is always coming through the vocal cords and I strain my vocal cords all the time. And that's what happens when I sing on top of which pretty sure I'm tone deaf. So those are things that like, I'm not sure if you can like fix any of that, but I'm going to try <laughs> to find something that slowly fixes that without yeah. asking so much of my time. Cause if I had done all of the warm ups that he wanted to do, it would have been like an hour and a half. Oh wow. And I, I just don't have that kind of time. All I can say is woman, you're the one that threw down the gauntlet here. So. I do. I know. So I gotta, I gotta step it up, I guess. <laughs> but, um, but there are a couple of things that, um, that I want to do. I have uh, finished up the base class of how story works. So the basic mm -hmm. narrative theory is all out there. 26 episodes that explain all the basics that you need to know about narrative theory. Um, so I've put that show on hiatus for a little while and I want to get to working on that book. Good. I want to get that base narrative theory book kind yeah. of out there. I also want to finish the fiction novel. Mm -hmm. um, I also want to put out three podcasts a week. <laughs> so, um, and I've got something else going on kind of behind the scenes that I can't really talk about yet. Yay! I don't want to talk about it until it's final, but it is very exciting. And it's also yay, going to take yay, up yay. like a ton more of my time that I don't actually have. So yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of, uh, in this space right now where I've got a million things that I'm trying to do. And, um, all of that is just nothing but excuses. I did not do my homework. That's okay. <laughs> but actually, I mean, look at everything you just said that you did. Good God, woman. Oh God, I know. Like, I know come crazy. on, you're amazing. <laughs> well, how did you do? Um, I had this theory. Yes. <laughs> so I have decided that trying to balance time out on the dance floor with, you know, real life mm -hmm. is freaking hard. <laughs> and there is a reason that Cinderella got sent home from the ball at midnight because that girl had to go to work the next day. Right. <laughs> right. Like I used to just think her fairy godmother was kind of bitchy. And now I'm like, oh, no, no, yes. there was a reason. Exactly. There was a reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so exactly. I'm struggling to find the time that is needed to romance this creativity. But the 20-minute time limit really, really helps. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I don't care if it's minute 21 and I'm in the middle of a sentence. Like, that's it. And and having that mm -hmm. constraint around it, like, I think that there's, there's a lot where constraint can actually help your creativity. Oh, certainly it can. Mm -hmm. And so that the 20-minute thing is is probably the only way I'm, I'm getting any reading done at all mm -hmm. um, or any homework done at all. <laughs> but... I'm also trying to shift from this mode of just reading tons of poetry to mm -hmm. engaging with it uh -huh. because passive reading, even when it's wonderful, is just never going to be enough for me. Right. I'm just not mm -hmm. a passive kind of girl. So <laughs> I'm trying to read more deeply, be more aware and actually ended up writing a fucking poem, which. Oh my God. Damn it. Wow. Like, yeah, not on purpose. It just happened. It's, you know, <laughs> Jesus. But, <laughs> you know, um, but that's okay because it's, it's, I just think it's important not to just fall from enchantment into escapism. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's a line there for me. Sure. So trying to be intentional about it and using 20 minutes is, is helping. Okay. Um, 
But trying to practice singing makes me feel like I am delivering a keynote address in another language at a very high altitude without any oxygen. <laughs> so I am like so, and, and being unskilled when I want to be skilled just pisses me off. So like I, this discomfort at the beginning of the learning curve, I know it. I teach it. I research about it. I write about it. I understand it. I hate it. So I'm, I'm just really, really struggling with mm -hmm. being terrible at something um, that I want to be good at. But learning mm -hmm. about it is fun. So learning about techniques and things with singing that I had no idea existed yeah, mm -hmm. is really fun. But um, I think it's going to take a long time to see any improvement. Yeah, well, I, I'm really thinking that this voice coaching, though, could be good for me in general, like in the podcasting work that I do as well. Yeah, because like I said, too. like my, my, I, uh, the way that I speak, mm -hmm. the way that I, you know, push like, you know, sounds out of my body, you know, yeah. that sounds really gross, but I'm talking about like vocal sounds, um, right. <laughs> you know. The way that I do that, I think, is it puts a lot of strain on my vocal cords. I think mm -hmm. that I don't do it, like, right. And mm -hmm. so what I'd really love to do, because I do a lot of projecting voice stuff, but I think I do it all, like, not from the diaphragm, not from, like, so learning about singing, even if I don't ever get any better at singing, I think might be really valuable for the fact that I spend so much time in my week talking. Right. You know, because that's a big part of what I do. Yeah, and, and I really want to get better at the podcasting and the voice and and mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is breath control, just like it is with singing. So yeah. what I really want now is for Whoopi Goldberg to come and start following me around and just like push in on my chest and be like, <laughs> breathe, you know, like she does in Sister Act. Like that's sure. what I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you need a Whoopi Goldberg. Or maybe I you really can have do. one of those anthropomorphized gremlins, like, you know, make a Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Out of that. Make me a little demonic singing coach. <laughs> a little demonic singing coach. <laughs> That might be kind of fun. <laughs> that could be really fun. So you got a lot done this week for which you're not giving yourself enough credit. Um, <laughs> how are your reflections this week? Um, my reflections are still kind of in the same place. This this anthropomorphization of everything, making all these things external to myself. And I found that really, really helpful. I'm still working with that. Um, and the the whole consciousness of this scarcity mindset, mm -hmm. um, which is something that I've always struggled with. Um, you know, I'm finding that an attitude of abundance is more in line with who I really am. I mean, I think there's a difference between who you are at your core and then what the damage that has been done to you is like warped into that shape. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause you know how, when you, I mean, you, you know, as a parent, you've had a kid, right? You know, yeah. so when you have a kid, that is when you realize that people are born how they're born. They're just yeah. born a certain way. And there are things that you can do nurturing and there are things that you can do to influence, but people are who they are. And I think the more that, especially with your kids, that you celebrate who they are, you know, while mm -hmm. giving them guidance so that they keep themselves safe, you know, but you let them be what they are, the yeah. the less you're putting pressure to warp them into something that they're not, you know, and that's something with my kids that I've had that consciousness since they were little, but I've never had it about me. And now I'm thinking about it. And I feel like when I think about this, um, this abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset, like I have been warped from the time that I was a kid into the scarcity mindset, into that mindset of fear that mm -hmm. if I don't do this, I'm going to lose this or I'm going to fail at this or something like that, you know? 
that there isn't enough to go around. And so, but the abundance mindset, I think is more in like natural harmony with who I am at the core of my being, like who I was born to be, you know? So I'm feeling myself move into that and that, that warped part of me, you know, that came from the damage is sort of starting to fill out a little bit again. So, you know what this makes me think of, Mm -hmm. and, and I love all of these kind of organically occurring connections between Mm -hmm. big magic calling back to rising strong. Oh Yeah. But one of the concepts in Rising Strong was the delta, right? Yeah. The difference mm-hmm. between the story you're telling yourself and the actual story. Right. But I think in this context, delta takes on like a much bigger and more powerful shape. Mm-hmm. Because if the delta between who you are at your core and who you are based on damage that you've done, like if you can start to see that delta mm-hmm. and bring yourself home, that is amazing. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really feeling that difference. And I'm seeing it. Uh, God, I'm seeing it sort of present in different places in my life. You know, mm-hmm. like this, this thing that I have going on in the background, which don't anybody worry about it. First of all, it's not a man. So let's not, you know, do that. Um, <laughs> it's so much it's better, so much than, a better man. than that. It's so much better than that. <laughs> Um, and it's not it's not a huge big deal. I just don't want to talk about it until it's yeah. like absolutely set in stone. Um, but because uh, I don't want people asking me about it. Right. You know? No, but it's great. It's but great. it is great. It's very exciting. It's all that kind of stuff. But it's it's that kind of thing. Like that wouldn't have occurred to me if I was still in that old mindset, if I was still if I hadn't sort of started to, to take my natural form again, you know. Um, so a lot of that stuff I'm looking at and I'm thinking, you know, if if this horrible thing that happened to me this year hadn't happened, like I wouldn't be where I am now. I wouldn't be getting my form back, you know? Um, And so I'm really enjoying that. I'm really feeling that. It feels more harmonized. I feel more harmonized, you know? So I think that that's really good. Um, One of the other things, thank you. One of the other things that I've been reflecting on in the past week was this phrase from Elizabeth Gilbert when she was talking about reading into the narrative of what happened when the book passed from her to Ann Patchett, right? Mm -hmm. And she had that phrase, had I been in the mood to ruin my life, you know, oh, yeah. um, had I been in that mood, had I wanted to um, to destroy everything, I could have gone into these self-destructive narratives, you know, and I look at that and I think I think I've been in the mood to ruin my life, like my whole life. I think that um, my thought patterns have been entirely self-destructive. So when reality is open to interpretation, I'm trying now to choose the narratives that build me up rather than tear me down. You know, when reality is not open to interpretation, you got to go with the facts and the science and the math and all that kind of right. stuff. But when when you can read something in a number of different ways, read it in the way that benefits you and that builds you up and that is in harmony with the natural shape of yourself. I you love know? that. So, I love um, that. Yeah. And I've always been afraid of that. My whole life, I was afraid that if I saw things in a way that reflected positively on me, that somehow... I would become a monster, that that was my natural shape. You know, I was always afraid that that was the natural place that I would go. And I'm finding that I don't think that that's the case. I think that it's that I've been much, much more negative and had have had without wanting to a much more negative influence on the people around me than I would like to because of that kind of thinking. Well, you I know? don't think that's true. But I think that that this breakthrough you're having of the delta between who you are at your core and the mm-hmm. shape that you've been put into is remarkable and lovely and wonderful. And, you know, jokingly, I say to you all the time, you know, how chipperish do you want it? But <laughs> I'm not really joking because at the core of you, that's what's there. 
you yeah. know, and it, and it is a wonderful sort of light. And, and I just love seeing you come home to it. I mean, it is, this is magic to me and it's wonderful. And I am so damn happy oh. to see that happening for you. Well, thank you. Thank you. So how are your reflections this week? So they're good. Um, it was interesting because there's these little magical surprises that seem to be popping up everywhere, <laughs> just unexpected. And I don't know if they've never been there before or if normally I'm just so like nose to the ground doing work, whatever, that I don't notice. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it's starting to really be fun. It almost like you're flirting with the universe and the universe is flirting back. I you know? like that. And it's, it is just kind of delightful. But like, so last week, the day that BSY, their episode launched, you know, mm -hmm. that night I went with friends to a great event at a bookstore to hear Ann Vogel, who is the host of What Should I Read Next podcast, um, talk about her new book, Reading People, which is a great mm -hmm. book. It was a fun event. And when we got there, they gave us the books that we had pre-ordered, you know, and a glass of wine. And we got, Ooh, to, choose, like that. We got to choose a sticker. Mm -hmm. And so my sticker was a quote from Rilke, who oh. was like a direct connection to the wave story that I had shared in that day's Big Strong Yes episode. Oh, man. And I don't know what to call that other than just a little magical, delightful surprise. I mean, it was so it was so neat in the moment. It and is. But see, you could read that as just this weird thing that happened. Or you could read that as the universe giving you a pat on the head and saying, yeah, you're doing good, kid. Yeah. Or Here just, you go. Yeah. Have Here's a, a little sticker. confirmation. <laughs> right. Have a sticker. <laughs> so, you know, in a very childish way, I'm like, I want a little sticker book and I'm just going to put all my magic from the universe in it. Oh, no, I think you totally should. You should have a magical universe journal that you can stick things yeah. in. And yeah, that'd yeah. be great. So and the other thing I was reflecting on is like, what it really means to engage with some of the folks in the Big Strong Yes community. Mm -hmm. Because this is not just like people listening to the podcast. These are people that are living this experience with yeah. us. Mm -hmm. And when they share with us in real time, you know, their thoughts or their experiences it is nothing short of miraculous to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but I got this amazing message from Noelle, and she told me it was okay to talk about it here. She said she went back to the very first Big Strong Yes episode and that she thought I had come full circle on the idea of softening up because in that very first episode, I talked about being towered and falling in mud. Like how I always get towered and land in the red Georgia clay and it was such mm -hmm. a bad thing. But the last episode, we talked about softness leaving a fingerprint. And mm -hmm. I said, I want to be soft like Red Georgia Clay. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of magical. But I never in a million years would have made that connection without Noel. Like, I That's didn't so see cool. that. You know, I, I wasn't conscious of it. Mm -hmm. And so just, you know, how readers bring their own interpretation and their own understanding to a text, folks that are following along with Big Strong Yes are doing that too. Yeah. And, you know, I just think it's amazing. And so if, if there is a show, you know, if there is a podcast that speaks to you or there is an author that speaks to you, I would just say, reach out and tell them. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to do this more on my own too, just to, to tell people, hey, you know, I think this was really great or thank you for sharing this. Because it really is putting a kind of positive energy out into the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it helps everybody's work. 
Yeah, no, absolutely it does. And it's one of the things that I've been trying to put into practice for years is that when there's a, instead of responding to negativity with negativity, like mm-hmm. if somebody on Twitter does something that's like, you know, totally assholic or, you know, or says something really stupid, instead of fighting with them, you know, like instead turn around and put something positive out. Right. You know, to combat that, because you can't fight negative with negative, right. but you can fight negative with positive. And if you match every negative asshole thing that you see, and I mean, depending on, you know, what communities you're in, that might happen a lot more often than maybe it does <laughs> us. Um, but, you know, if you if you match that without responding, like you see somebody who does something terrible, who says something terrible, do something positive. And sometimes that positive thing can be writing to your senator about this terrible thing. If it's a political thing, you know, writing to your representatives is the best way. Fighting with people on the Internet. No one has ever come out of a fight on the Internet and been like, wow, you really changed my mind. Yeah. You know, that oh, doesn't happen. That was so spiritually moving for me. Right. Thank you. No. But instead of putting <laughs> that energy into fighting with that person over that political issue that you feel so strongly about, write your senator a letter about it instead and you know what if it's the same letter send it again mm-hmm. you know um put something positive out because that's the only way to combat the negative yeah absolutely you know? mm-hmm. but i think too with with work you love you know if someone writes a, a story or someone publishes a podcast episode and it speaks to you you know tell them because yeah. I, mm-hmm. I just don't think there's enough of that in the world especially in our world of five-star reviews where we try to measure art and quantify it, which I don't think is possible, Mm -hmm. you know, so just kind of reaching out to that. And it also opens you up to what it is you appreciate about work, which can only help your own creativity. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a really great thing to do. And it's always nice, you know, I mean, as somebody who gets lovely, lovely messages from people all the time, um, it is incredibly wonderful. It is a validation. It encourages me to keep doing the things that I'm doing, you know, um, and lets me know if I'm on the right track with it. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I really do appreciate that. And, um, and it's, you know, and I know that I'm always talking about how uncomfortable I am with it. Well, (laughs) I think there's a difference though. It's not like writing to say, Lonnie, I just see the world through your eyes and right. the glistening Lonnie, of your hair. You're like, a not like heroin. Yeah, nothing like that. Yeah, but it's it's <laughs> it's just sharing that. It's sharing me too. It's yeah, just sharing yeah, no, it me is, too it's the me in an appreciative stance. Yeah, the know? me too of it is wonderful. It really is, and it's yeah. incredibly powerful. And it's it's good. People who create stuff, it's good to let them know that what they're doing speaks to you. So right. that's a wonderful thing. And I mean, of course, obviously, if you want to send those messages to us. You know, we love it. That's wonderful. But also like anybody else, yeah. anybody else who is, is touching you and and getting you jazzed about whatever it is that you're you're engaging with with them, be it their fiction or their podcast or whatever, their mm-hmm. art, you know, go ahead and let them know because it's, it's a really wonderful thing to do. And it does put that positivity out into the universe. Yeah, I think so, too. Mm-hmm. So um, and then my last tiny reflection for the week is singing is not scary because I'm bad at it. Which, to be fair, I really, really am. (laughs) But the idea of singing is scary because I want so badly to be good at it. And that's vulnerability, right? It is. I'm doing a podcast about courage, for Christ's sake. So I'm going to quit whining about it and try to learn. (laughs) No, caring deeply about something is a huge, huge vulnerability. Um, And uh, and that's one of those things that you kind of have to make your peace with. Because if you don't allow yourself to care about something you know, then you can't put yourself into it. You can't put your back against it. If you're withholding that, that energy, you know, if you're pretending that, yeah, I don't care about this that much. If you care about it, you care about it. And it is hugely, hugely vulnerable. So I'm proud of you. I think that's really great. 
Well, it's your fault for double dog daring me on a podcast, but um, but it's okay. So I think it's it's going to be. I, I don't think I'll ever be good at it, but mm-hmm. I'm willing to try. All right, all right. Well, good. I'm proud of you. And it's a very <laughs> difficult thing to do. It really is. It's, it's difficult for me, you know. I mean, and I usually don't have as much of a problem with it, but I'm 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 really am bad at singing. Like I'm not good at it at all, and uh, and I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it right, and I can't hit a key to save my life. And I still don't understand how people can listen to and know know what it is that is a magic to me. That is like you know the kind of magic that's like my phone or you know <laughs> sorcery. I mean, it's just it's beyond my comprehension. Um, so to dip my toe into something that I don't have any natural talent at is something that also I can kind of play with this idea that I've been talking about, which is that talent doesn't matter. Effort matters. Right. Work matters. Attention matters. Um, and so I want to see if I can prove that with the singing. Well, if I actually else, get good it'll at singing, give us it'll be one amazing. hell of an experiment and we'll get a really cool data set. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's going to be really, really fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you ready to jump into the rating? Yeah, let's jump into All the right. rating. Where do you want to start? Oh, God, I guess at the beginning with ownership. Okay. Yeah. So what did you get out of this section? So on page 59, she had this quote that I just loved. Mm -hmm. um, And she said, I lost ideas that I mistakenly thought were meant to be mine. Mm -hmm. And so it really, I've been thinking a lot about ideas and ideas that I've had and, you know, with them being entities and just all the stuff that goes into that. And I, I think my core question is, why do they want to work with me? You know, mm-hmm. and, and part of this goes back to rising strong again with ideas of lovability, because like, why do they want to work with me? And, you know, they could just be visiting and Southern hospitality is important. So we're all going to be friendly here. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I figuring out like, how can I know if they're meant to be mine? Mm-hmm. You know, like that, I'm struggling with that. I mean, I really like the idea, but I'm struggling with it. I don't know that you can know until you've entertained them a little bit. And so what if they're not meant to be yours? You play with them a little bit. You have a good day. You go to a movie. You know, (laughs) you hang out for a little while. It doesn't need to be forever. It doesn't need to be yours forever. It's like dating. You know, you hang out with them for a little bit, you see how they feel about you, you see how you feel about them. And in the end, it may or may not be a love connection, who the hell knows, but you don't know until you go out on the date. I, so yeah, just I guess spend a little time. I guess mm-hmm. the part of it that I'm curious about is why they're showing up in the first place. Oh, because you know? you're adorable. Uh, no, because they want to hang like out that. with you for a little no, while. No, no, not like that. I mean, like, <laughs> why these particular ideas? I, I, mm-hmm. it, it's just, my brain, you know, goes crazy on curiosity sometimes to, to a fault. Yeah. <laughs> but I've never thought about it like that before. Uh-huh. You know, so it's just an interesting concept to think about. Yeah, no, it is. It is really interesting. I like this idea where, you know, she's talking about ownership um, and that these ideas, you know, can just visit you, mm-hmm. but not necessarily because they're yours. They're just stopping to say hi on the way to wherever it is that they're going, right. you know, and maybe coming in to check you out a little bit. Maybe it's like a job interview. Yeah. So you know, maybe the they sit hospitality, down, you know, right. and they're like, you know, I just want to hang out, just going to see if there's something here, you know, and if not, I'll go hang out with somebody else or whatever. Um, and the thing is that when that idea finds another home, you can be happy for it. Because the idea that is for you will stick, 
Right. You know, I think that the ideas that belong to you are going to stick to you. So for me, like one of the things that has kind of occurred to me throughout the process of, of engaging with this idea with Elizabeth Gilbert is that it feels like living in an inspiration museum. You know, you're just kind of wandering through the different spaces and the different kinds of things and you're taking a look at what's there. And some of it you may want to buy and take home. You know, mm -hmm. but some of it, you know, you'll want to, um, you know, to spend more time with and hang out with, but you're going to walk past eventually and leave it to somebody else to oh, buy and take home. That just brought the most pretty visual in my mind. Mm -hmm. So when I was little, we would go to the museum sometimes and um, they had a gift shop. Mm -hmm. Right. And in the gift shop, they had these baskets full of polished gemstones uh -huh. and they were just in there loose. And like, there was nothing I loved more than to just dip both hands into that basket and run my hands through all those stones because uh -huh. they were smooth and cool and they're just beautiful and all the colors, you know, and I would spend like an hour picking out one mm -hmm. that like I could take home with me, you know, and so maybe it's kind of like that. Yeah, like, I just maybe. love that. I love that metaphor mm -hmm. for ideas. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So I, I like it. I think it makes this, you know, so much of what happens in big magic is that it takes the the like onerous elements of creativity and re-narrativizes them into a different perspective. It shifts, it reframes, right? Which is one mm -hmm. of the things we've been talking about from the beginning is reframing these ideas. Right. And when it does, like it takes all the pressure off you know, and takes like the suffering out and makes it all play. Yeah. And I love that. And she is very playful, which mm -hmm. I think has also taken me a little while to get used to. Because <laughs> like, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't believe in binary thinking. I don't believe in dichotomies. But right. if, if you take earnest on one side and playful on the other, I swing so far on that pendulum <laughs> that it might as well be binary for me most of the time. <laughs> and so just trying to to recognize even her playfulness in a way yeah. it's, it's been really good for me, but I'm still not used to it yet. Um, but I think reframing some of the things that she reframes, like multiple discovery, I loved mm -hmm. how she reframed that idea. Oh, yeah. You know, so in science, when you have two people in two different parts of the world discover the same thing, which happens. I mean, it has happened Big oh, it happens all the time. You know? There was somebody when Darwin came up with his yep. his theory. Somebody mm -hmm. else had come up with it, but didn't publish it fast enough. Right, and you know, same ideas for stories or same mm -hmm. ideas for you know inventions or whatever. I mean, God, look at the boom of the personal computer and yeah. how so much of that happened in tandem. Mm -hmm. um, but she reframes that in such a wonderful way with the idea of, hey, you know, all these ideas are out there hedging their bets. They're going to flirt yeah. with more than one person. Sure. And and that's okay because you're not owning them, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it just made me think of like multiple discovery also works for the idea of shared stories and the power of me too, mm -hmm. which I think is really cool. Yeah, um, I like that. And then on page 63, she said, in the end, it's all just violets trying to come to light. Mm -hmm. And oh God, the imagery of that. I love that. So beautiful, you know, um, but it made me think of. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to discover my favorite flower because oh. I'm almost 40 and I have no idea what my favorite flower is, oh. e except I know it ain't roses. Okay. So like <laughs> no more roses in any mm -hmm. shape or form in my life. No more mm -hmm. roses. But in a strange way, it feels like 
romancing my creativity is requiring a certain amount of romancing myself, mm-hmm. which I am incredibly uncomfortable with. <laughs> but last week you talked about creativity, knowing someone is serious when they go to the library to research an idea. Yeah. And I think one of my challenges is like rediscovering what makes my creativity whistle. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what kind of flowers it likes, but I know it likes libraries. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, great. Mm-hmm. So that's a start. No, I like that. I like that. I think that's very cool. There was something from page 63, too, that I picked up on. And I think it's so funny that you pick up on the poetry and the imagery, you know, in yeah. what she says. And I pick up on the, the, the like, hard stuff that she says. <laughs> we're we're the completely in opposite roles on this. I know, which is so funny, you know, because I think we're both balancing ourselves out in that way. Um, but there on page 63, she says, there is no theft. There is no ownership. There is no tragedy. There is no problem. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. I love that because that is the kind of, you know, warped thinking that I've had for so long. It's theft. There's ownership. It's tragedy. It's problem. Right. You know, yeah, I love the way she phrases that. Well, page 63 is a hell of a page because I also <laughs> had a quote from this. <laughs> and I feel like Elizabeth Gilbert was double dog daring me in this yeah. quote. But on page 63, she said, Don't fret over the irrationality and unpredictability of all this strangeness. Give into it. And I was like, what? (laughs) This is like telling me not to hold my breath. Like, Mm -hmm. I am fine with other people's creative irrationality. But for me, it feels like Mm -hmm. I'm driving too fast Mm -hmm. at night, in the rain, on a cliffside road without guardrails, drunk. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think that you can do it, though. Yeah, it's, it was just funny. Like, I feel like she was calling me out, you know? Yeah. No, there are times where I feel like that. Like, I think that she understands the creative spirit so well, you oh, know, yeah. that, that she does speak to a lot of the experiences that are, you know, that are not necessarily universal to everybody. But I think she hits on everybody's universality a little bit. Oh, yeah, you know I think what so, too. <laughs> and, and she does such a beautiful job of sharing mm-hmm. stories of other artists in yeah. here. Mm-hmm. So, like, one of my favorite was um, when she talked about Rue Stone. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, and, and this that idea of the tiger's tail and, and yeah. catching poems. Um, so, if you haven't seen Elizabeth Gilbert's TED Talk, her first one, get the online now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'll put the link in the show notes because she tells that story so beautifully in that TED Talk. Yeah. So. Um, no, it's, it's wonderful. And I love this... Um, this vision from Ruth Stone. Mm-hmm. And I love the name Ruth Stone. Oh, me too. I mean, that is a tough name. That is a no bullshit name, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. Um, and I, I love the way that she talks about that experience, the way that she views that experience. Um, and then on page 65, Elizabeth Gilbert says, that, my friends, is some freaky, old-timey, voodoo-style big magic right there. <laughs> and then she adds, I believe in it, though. Yeah. And I love that addition. It's so simple, but so powerful. You know, she's like, she's saying all this stuff. She's like, it's freaky and it's weird, but I believe it. She is choosing that narrative. She's putting her stamp of approval on that narrative, Mm -hmm. you know, which is, of course, something that is open to interpretation. Can you prove that it's not freaky, old timey voodoo style, big magic? No, you can't. Right. So therefore, why not believe in it? If believing in it is an option, why choose not to? Yeah, it reminds me of one of my favorite songs um, by Mary Shapin Carpenter called Why Mm -hmm. Shouldn't We? Yeah. And it's just basically Mm -hmm. this wonderful ballad of like, hey, you know what? There's magic in the world and why shouldn't we believe in it? Mm -hmm. And I just love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I like that. 
But then she kind of shifts from voodoo big magic to Mm -hmm. fairy dust. (laughs) Yes. And (laughs) she talked about, you know, that idea of an external genius. And Mm -hmm. on page 67, she said the ancient Greek word for the highest degree of human happiness is eudaimonia, which means well demoned or having a good guardian. Mm -hmm. And I like her definition much better than Aristotle's and Plato's. Yes. Because eudaimonianism as a branch of moral philosophy has just never sat well with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's intellectualism without passion. So what does it mean according to them? So it's this moral branch of philosophy that is trying to determine how to live the best life, which mm-hmm. immediately puts a moral judgment on yes. everything you do, you know, to reach this level of self-actualization or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, it is that you're trying to reach by always looking for this well-demoned, you know, it's just the idea of of goodness, but they put it in a moral slant, Mm -hmm. which I don't like. Well, the perfectionism, right? To live the best life all the time. Right. And it, but it requires such rational Mm -hmm. analysis of everything. And plus Aristotle and Plato, you know, generally hated women and they both strike me as incredible assholes. So I'm not no, a big they fan. they totally were. Yeah. So <laughs> I want a new philosophy of like the joyful, benevolent pursuit of creative inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I feel yeah. like that's what Elizabeth Gilbert is giving me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I really love yeah. that. And but, I love, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, you finish your thought. Okay. But um, but it did make me want to, you know, define my terms because I can't use that <laughs> word <laughs> because, yeah, I can't separate that word from, from the philosophy. Right. But I was thinking about the physical manifestation of inspiration, like mm-hmm. how you were talking about it last week. And there is this joyful electric crack of understanding and insight that happens when I'm studying something, like when that aha hits me, right? And it, mm-hmm. it, it is like a true electric crack. Mm-hmm. And in graduate school, my friends and I started calling this like a braingasm, right? So uh-huh. it's an intellectual orgasm. <laughs> and it does happen. Like it, it really yeah, no, does. I know what you're talking about. Sure. Yeah. So now I'm wondering, like, should that be an ideagasm? So like, I don't know what to call it, but I know it when it hits me. Wow. An inspiragasm. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Sure. Sure. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll keep that open. Let's let the, the big, strong, yes, faithful go ahead and give us a, a name for that. That. Uh, oh, I can't wait to see what they come up with. <laughs> it's going to be good. I guarantee you it's going to be good. One of the things I loved about this, this hard labor versus fairy dust thing, um, on page 66, she says, most of my writing life consists of nothing more than unglamorous, disciplined labor. I sit at my desk and I work like a farmer. And that's how it gets done. Mm -hmm. And I love the way that she mixes those experiences. You know, she talks about that time that she just got taken over by inspiration and everything flowed and it was great. Um, And that's like the fairy dust, you know, the the thing just comes right through you and it's fine. I had that experience with one of my books. (laughs) One of my books was fairy dust. Wish you were here. It was written in 28 days. And when I sent it to my editor, she had almost no edits for me. It was like, it just came out. I love that book. Thank you. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, that was the only time that has ever, ever happened to me. Um, but that book, while it's good, I think it's a good book. And I think it's the best of the romantic comedies that I wrote. Um, it's not any better than, say, like For Love or Magic, which was my last Lucy March book, which took two years and was like pulling teeth 
every inch of the way. And it's also yeah. an awesome book. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you. It was I, I really I like that book a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm a, and I still but like honestly, I for the experience, the experience of writing a book, the experience of creating a thing, um how easy it is or how fun it is or anything like that has absolutely no in like influence at all has no effect on how good the work is in the end you know and I've been talking to my writing friends about this for years and we all have this same thing like we have those books where we're like yeah that one was like magic it just came through me and it was great and it was effortless and I got it done it was awesome um and then we have things that are so so difficult um and yet the quality of the book you, there's no discernible difference, you know, as far mm-hmm. as like the quality of the book or how well you wrote it or any of that kind of stuff or how good the book is. Um, and it's it's such an interesting thing that they these things can come through you in so many different ways, but it doesn't it doesn't have an effect on the end product. The end product is still what it was always meant to be. Yeah, you know if that makes sense. Yeah, and and it's interesting for me because I'm finding so many of the things that I know about how we learn mm-hmm. are now sort of magically transferring to ways of working with creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm seeing connections that I, I didn't see the first time I read the book or the third time I read the book, <laughs> but I'm seeing them now. Uh-huh. And um, one of those is the idea of flow theory and losing yeah. time. Like when oh, you're right. so swept up mm-hmm. that the world blurs around you and, and you're just completely in the zone and, you know, different psychologists call it different things, but Flow theory is is where I, yeah. I go to it for. But what I've learned as an educator is that you can, to some extent, teach your brain how to fall down that well. Mm-hmm. And, and most of that is environmental. So for me, like when I was working on my dissertation, because I had to do it in, in spurts and stops and mm-hmm. stolen time. And so I started this ritual for it where I would burn a peppermint candle. And oh, yeah. because your olfactory gland, you know, your sense of smell is so tied to memory in the mm-hmm. brain that after a while, like I could light the peppermint and the light of the candle and the smell of the peppermint and like that particular document open in front of me, I could fall down that well very quickly. Oh, like, yeah. A lot faster than I normally could, mm-hmm. you know. And so I'm wondering, like, does that same environmental practice also apply to my creativity? Because I don't know that yet. Like, I don't know how to whistle oh, in that way absolutely. yet. Absolutely. No, that's abs- I've been teaching that for years. I've been yeah. telling people to light candles or to have a particular, you know, um, mm-hmm. air freshener or whatever it is that they like, you know, right. in their environment. And it can be different things. But yeah, the olfactory sense is huge. For me, uh, a soundtrack it was mm-hmm. very, very powerful. I would build a soundtrack for the book and then I would listen to it while I was writing. And a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people can't. can't have lyrics in their head. Um, but there are different kinds of, of you can have, you know, classical music. You can have yeah. other things that don't have the lyrics to distract you. Um, so it depends on how you work. Um, you know, Chris Beatty, who does uh, NaNoWriMo, the National Novel Writing Month. We love you, Chris Beatty. We love Chris Beatty. We love you so much. favorite people. Um, but he, you know, would joke around about how he had this hat that he would wear whenever he was writing, you know, and so he'd put the hat on and that hat would get him into that space. You hey, know, Joe just, March had a hat. 
Oh, yeah. No, whatever you do, I mean, whatever it is that speaks to you, you know, you find a thing, you do your environment, you do whatever. Um, but if you do that same thing over and over and over again, eventually it associates with that sense, with that that being in the zone for that particular story or the thing that you're doing. And that is absolutely a whistle to your inspiration and your creativity, and it will come running. Yeah. Well, and I think that ties in with the idea of having an external genius, mm-hmm. yes. right? Because mm-hmm. it's a way to signal. And I really love how Elizabeth Gilbert talks about that external genius. Mm-hmm. And I know that you you had some good notes about that. Uh, yeah, I think that um, this idea of her, of the external genius is something that she did in, in one of her TED Talks, uh, the mm-hmm. TED Talk on creativity. And I love I love that idea from the moment that she came up with it, because I think the weight, you know, like that you, that you, rather than you are a genius, you have a genius. A genius Mm -hmm. has visited you, you know, and has, and can also hop away after a while, you know. I think that the weight of being a genius is too much to carry. I think that is just too much weight. And so the externalization of this idea is really a kindness to creative people, you know, but it means that in order to balance it, you have to externalize um, the time that the work isn't great as well. You know, she says, um, you know, either way, the vulnerable human ego is protected, protected from the corrupting influence of praise, protected from the corrosive effects of shame. She has that on page 68. And I think that that is a really wonderful way to externalize the whole thing so that you're there you're doing the work and how it turns out and what happens with it and whether everybody hails you as a genius or whether nobody ever takes you seriously or not doesn't matter what matters is that you did the thing you know you did your job well and carol dweck um dr carol dweck phd is a a psychologist and she wrote the book mindset Mm -hmm. and she talks about the destructive power of praise in that book and This, along with the five love languages, has probably had the most influence on how I parent Mm -hmm. because she said, like, when we praise children for being something instead of doing something, yes, then we are corrupting that part of their identity. Mm -hmm. So if I say, oh, you're so creative, oh, you're so smart, instead of, oh, you did it, you you painted, I'm so glad you painted, or, Mm -hmm. oh, you, you know, you really did great editing your essay, like Mm -hmm. the difference between being and doing. And how we praise people for that is incredibly powerful. Yeah. So reframing that for myself in terms of all this dancing with creativity is, right. is, is helping too. Yeah. And it really, it's so nice to be able to kind of just separate that out, you mm-hmm. know, and make it not your business. Like, right. that, like, you know, when I was talking about all the outcome oriented thinking, that is, I think, something that can be so incredibly damaging to us in a lot of ways. But I mean, especially with regard to creativity, yeah. because, you know, you don't have control over the outcome. You just don't. Right. You know, so getting yourself all worked up about the outcome of things rather than doing the thing putting it out there, letting it be what it will be, you know? And I mean, there's so many people who like during their day were huge failures, like Jane Austen, you know, nobody took her seriously during the day. And now, you know, 200 years after her death, we're all like, Hey, Jane Austen, you know, she's like, yeah, it doesn't mean a lot of good now, assholes. (laughs) Um, But I mean, like she, her work isn't any different. There's no difference between her work then and her work now, but the outcome of it has changed. You know, the outcome of it has, has, you know, warped over time. And so I think that being, 
engaged with the outcome and being attached to the outcome and holding yourself responsible for the outcome, Mm -hmm. you know, is where all of those things really go wrong. And I think that gets us into our next area, the pinned beneath the boulder thing um, with the story of Harper Lee. The pin beneath the boulder was such a great metaphor. Oh, yeah. For carrying the weight of that genius. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's really hard because, you know, Harper Lee wrote for those of you who, who don't know, although if you've grown up in America, you've read the book because everybody reads the book, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird in, mm-hmm. in high school. Um, but uh, but the story of Harper Lee that she wrote this book and it was just this incredible success and she could never kind of beat that again. You know, in page 70, it says such thinking assumes that there is a top and that reaching that top and staying there is the only motive one has to create. You know, and again, it's that it's that outcome oriented thinking. And, you know, and in my experience, like I haven't had that huge kind of top of the thing, you know, success, um, which is fine, because I've had enough success for me, and I'm happy. Um, But, uh, but success has been, I've seen it be so hard on people, like I've known people who've been truly successful, like, you know, really, like, you know, quantifiably successful. And the outcome oriented thinking that comes from that is so difficult, and it really puts so much pressure on them. Um, You know, and it's hard, especially when you've got like agents and publishers who are expecting you to do something that is essentially out of your control. Oh, you hit number 10 on New York Times last time? Well, now you've got to hit number five. Oh, you were there for 10 weeks last time? Well, now you got to be there for 20 weeks. Like you always have to do it bigger, you know, Mm -hmm. and hit it harder. Um, And I think that that's, it's really, really difficult. I remember from my psychology class in high school, that one of the ideas that came out of this class that has been, you know, like pivotal to my understanding of things ever since, is this idea about locus of control, you know, and that that people who have um, an external locus of control that like that the control for things that happen to them is, is external to them and they're trying to control things that they have no control over mm-hmm. um, end up having the most stressful experience being holding yourself responsible for something that you have no control over is the most stressful experience. And so I think you have to look at the reality of the situation that you're in and say, what do I have control over here? And what do I not I have control over how hard I work? I don't have control over the grade. The grade mm-hmm. I get is the grade I get, but I do have control over how hard I work. And there is a correlation between how hard you work and the grade that you get, you know? So, I mean, there is some correlation there, usually, depending on the class that you're in. Um, but I think that it's it's so difficult to hold yourself responsible for those things. And when you have success, you feel responsible for those things. And I think that's why a lot of hugely successful people, like big famous people, go crazy. Well, yeah, you know, they lose their <laughs> minds, you know, because it just it's it's such a difficult thing to maintain the proper locus of control in well, those situations. Yeah. And now I really like thinking of locus of control as external is happiness and internal is joy. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. I like the differentiation between those two things. But when she talked about Harper Lee, it just broke my heart because Mm -hmm. I used to teach To Kill a Mockingbird every semester in a class that I designed for adults who were coming back to college after a long time. Mm -hmm. And then I would have them write their ideas about why they thought Harper Lee never wrote another novel. Mm -hmm. And it always made me so sad that she didn't because I just see her as kind of trapped like in this iceberg with all this creativity frozen around her. And it, it just strikes me as incredibly sad and what a loss for her and what a loss for us. And you would know? she have been happier? Like, you know, she had, I think, the ultimate 
in success. Like she oh, wrote yeah. one of the biggest books and one of the most influential books of the 20th century. I mean, she did that, you know, and that's kind of unbelievable. Um, but would she have been happier had it not been a big deal? Right. You know, like uh, what would her life have looked like? And how would it have been different? And so you got to look at that and think, well, I didn't write To Kill a Mockingbird, but thank God. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. thank God I didn't <laughs> have God. that experience because that's a really tough experience, I think, to have. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. But I really liked how Elizabeth Gilbert reframed this idea of being on top and winning and losing. And she had this wonderful quote on page 70 where she said, but what does any of that have to do with vocation? What does any of that have to do with the pursuit of love? What does any of that have to do with the strange communion between the human and the magical? And I just love that because mm -hmm. it requires sharing with an open heart and no sense of expectation, which is scary. But at the same time, if it's about communion, if it's about communion with creativity, if it's about communion with the universe, mm -hmm. then it has nothing to do with accomplishment. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I just like thinking about creativity in that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's the only healthy way to really think about it. Yeah. You know, um, and then we move on into let it come and let it go, mm -hmm. which I thought was very, very cool. Where oh, she's yeah. talking about <laughs> waiting around for inspiration and um, you can chase inspiration or you can whistle for it, you know, mm -hmm. and we've talked a lot about the things that you can do to to whistle for it. Um, and it won't always come right away the moment you ask for it. But if you wh whistle often enough and in a predictable pattern, I mean, it does tend to show up. You know, yeah. and when I was reading this, I was thinking about it being kind of like surfing, you know, which is and let me just say this as I come up with another metaphor to torture for y'all, because I know how much you love when I do that. Um, <laughs> I've never surfed in my life. I don't know anything about surfing. But me my neither. understanding is that sometimes the waves are there and sometimes they aren't. But if you're at home on your couch and not on your surfboard, um, you're not going to catch the wave no matter what. You know, right. so you've got to be out there on your surfboard, you know, when that wave comes so that you can catch it. You know, yeah. and so I kind of like that, that idea of, you know, inspiration is important. Inspiration is absolutely important. But this idea that you have to wait for it to come to you, because if you just sit there and wait until it finds you, you're going to be waiting a long time. But right. there are things you can do to call it to you. And there also are things that you can, you can go into that work without any inspiration and pull teeth the way that I did with that last Lucy March book mm -hmm. and still pull it out. Inspiration is not necessary. It just makes it easier. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, and I like that, too, because my genius does not keep regular hours. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay, because often neither do I. Um, and I don't mind. Like, if he's mm -hmm. moonlighting for other people, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I do wish I was better at whistling for him, you know? Yeah. And well, you, you do, though, but you knew how to do that. You did that instinctively with the peppermint candle. Yeah, but that was for work. So it's it's just a <laughs> shift, like realizing that I have a skill set that I can apply to creativity. Yeah. I mean, it sounds incredibly obvious, but we all know sometimes it takes me a while. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm getting there. Mm -hmm. But um, but I did love this this description of one of the experiences she had writing with inspiration on page 74. Mm -hmm. She said it was a tale of enchantment written under enchantment and even a stranger could feel the fairy dust in it. And I was like, okay, y'all, if you have the business card of a fairy dust dealer with semi-questionable ethics, please send it my way. Because <laughs> I'd like to try that. <laughs> you can make your own fairy dust. Yeah. But you I just I just that. loved yeah. her description of that. I um, know. Yeah. And she tied it back to gratitude, which I thought was great. And on page yeah. 75, mm -hmm. she said, gratitude always, always gratitude. 
And I had this moment and I thought, oh, that's lovely. Yeah. And then I thought, damn it to hell. Now I have to write a gratitude list. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have to say, I I wrote that quote down too. Gratitude always, always gratitude. And the thing is that I I have found that to be the thing that gets me through almost anything is Mm -hmm. is finding the things to be grateful for. Um, And I think I told you this. I think I told it on here about my therapist from some years ago who, when I came in and told her all the things I was grateful for and said, you know, I've been incredibly lucky. She was like, no, you're not lucky. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She was just, she was like, you are not lucky. But I think that at the same time, like having that acknowledgement and that understanding of the ways in which you are lucky, even if you have had a lot of unlucky things happen to you, um, you can be grateful for even some of the bad things, because without the bad things, without some of the bad things that have happened to me, I wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing now. I wouldn't right. have the experience and the understanding um, and the perspective that I have and that I'm able to put into my creative work, which can then be helpful for other people as well. So, um, so I mean, it's, it's nice to be able to have that gratitude. And it is, there's something about gratitude that is grounding. And I know it's this like, you know, unfathomable cliche, you know, ever since Oprah started talking about it in like the 80s, like, oh, the gratitude <laughs> journal and oh, the thing, you know, and it's like, my life sucks. What do I have to be grateful for? Shut up, you know. Um, but if you can find gratitude, even for the tiny things, like I know what my favorite flower is. I've always known my favorite flower and it's a daisy. It's oh, the Gerber daisy. It's the very brightly colored Gerber beautiful. daisies. I love those, right? So that's my favorite flower as far as, as visual. And my favorite flower um, for smell is the hyacinth. You know, mm-hmm. that, that lilac that you get at Easter, um, you know, which I absolutely love. So um, so I'm grateful that I know what those are, you know, yeah. that I know what my favorites are. And I've got that. And like even being grateful for those little tiny things gets you through the day. I mean, sometimes that can be the only thing that gets you through the very, very bad days. Right. Um, but that hit of gratitude and how important that is. Well, um, yeah. And that's helping us shift into our big ideas, right? Our mm-hmm. aha moment. Absolutely. this was it for you, right? Yeah, yeah. No, the gratitude. That is a huge, huge thing. I think it's the secret to everything. Um, Because no matter how shitty things are, how hard you've been done by, how much you deserve better, there's always something that you can be grateful for. And, you know, I'm going to admit during the moments when I was on the hard ground, the breath knocked out of me, bleeding from my face into the dirt, like my (laughs) gratitude was hard to find, you know? And it's only now that I'm starting to get on my feet again, I'm beginning to see these things unfolding for me, which wouldn't have unfolded, Mm -hmm. you know, had I not gone through this like unbelievably horrible experience. So, um, you know, I'm more fulfilled and happier now than I was a year ago. I mean, a year ago I was in an abusive relationship. And, you know, and he and I had one thing in common. He had no regard for me and I had no regard for me, you know, and now I have regard for myself and he's gone. And I'm so grateful for everything that has bloomed in my life in the space that he used to take up, you know. So I'm looking at that and as awful as it was, as horrible as it was, and as much as I resisted all of it, you know, um, I'm looking at it now and I'm like, I'm, I'm grateful that this terrible thing has happened to me, you know, and it's, it's like that beautiful in the moonlight thing that we got from, from rising strong, the barns yeah. burnt down. Now I can see the moon, you know? Well, and now yeah. I just have this visual of you in this like luscious garden that exists in the space he used to take up. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. is beautiful and wonderful. Yeah. And I am so grateful on your behalf. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that it's good. And you know what? Some other man someday may be able to visit the garden, oh, but I'm not yes. giving it over again. I'm not giving that real estate <laughs> over right. again. 
You know? Well, it will always be yours, but you yeah. can have visitors whenever you want. Sure, sure. <laughs> so how about you? What was your big moment? So mine was on page 66, um, talking about the feeling of inspiration. Mm-hmm. She said, you can't repeat it. You can't explain it, but it felt as if you were being guided. I only rarely experience this feeling, but it's the most magnificent sensation imaginable when it arrives. I don't think there's a more perfect happiness to be found in this life than this state, except perhaps falling in love. Oh, and like trying to describe the physicality of that feeling is still Mm -hmm. impossible for me, but I do think it exists. And I think it has happened to me on occasion. Mm-hmm. And it brought to mind the story that I had completely forgotten about, about dancing with the veterans. Mm-hmm. And so many years ago, um, I used to do photography. And when I was uh, finishing up my undergraduate degree, the newspaper sent me to cover this event. And it was uh, uh, at the, the Veterans Center. And it was a dance Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was going to interview some of the veterans and take pictures of them dancing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was me and, like, couples in their 60s, 70s, and Aww. 80s, you know? And I went there to work. Mm-hmm. I had a camera. I had my notebook. I was there to interview and observe and take pictures. And I ended up dancing all night. Oh, <laughs> because man. those men would not take no for an answer. <laughs> I think I danced with 20 of them. Oh. And they could dance. And I mean like dance. Like I mm-hmm. foxtrotted. I don't know how to foxtrot. <laughs> I waltzed. Like they were such strong oh, leads. And even though I didn't know wonderful. what I was doing, mm-hmm. you know, like I think I literally got five pictures. It was <laughs> oh. a disaster for the work. And it was so much fun. But oh, just that wonderful. that feeling of being led around the dance floor, you know, kind of giddy and, and having no ability to steer for myself, I mm-hmm. think is what it feels like when inspiration oh, hits in that way. That's nice. Yeah. So it was just a fun story to remember because I had completely forgotten about it. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. So I'm just trying to, you know, get better at whistling and, and also better to surrendering to mm-hmm. the moment when it comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about your strong challenge? What did you resist this week? God, I don't think anything. Woo-hoo! I don't think anything. Like, I loved it all, man. I was with her. I was with her on the whole ride. I love it. I love <laughs> I that we're trying like, places yes, on this. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so what about you? What did you resist? I resisted the idea of a dazzled heart. <laughs> oh, right. We skipped that part. But oh, yes, yeah. let's talk I, about that now. I resisted the whole idea of a dazzled heart. Um, <laughs> so on, on page 77, she said, I don't demand a translation of the unknown. I don't need to understand what it all means or where ideas are originally conceived or why creativity plays out as unpredictably as it does. And I'm like, I wish so badly that that could be my epitaph, but I am a highly trained, deeply analytic researcher. And if someone gave me fairy dust, I would try to understand how it worked before I tried to use it. Oh, So wow. <laughs> like, trying to integrate these two parts of myself I think my brain's going to collapse. Like, <laughs> just, yeah, you no, know, I can, I can understand that. I actually quoted part of that same thing as something that I loved. Where oh. she, said, she quotes uh, Sir Arthur Eddington right before that. And she says, something unknown is doing. We don't know what. Yeah. And she says, but the best part is I don't need to know what I don't demand a translation of the unknown. And I thought about that. And it's, you know, we've talked a lot about faith because, you know, Brene Brown, of course, in Rising Strong was very faith centric. And we we've kind of talked about struggling with faith and faith as this very religious idea, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to an idea about just having 
having faith that even though I don't know how it works, you know, I know that it works. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, the thing is, I have to do that with a lot of things because I don't have necessarily like a naturally analytical mind the way that you do. Like, there are so many things in my life that just work. Like I've talked about my phone, pure mm-hmm. magic to me. <laughs> Works on magic. Hermione's in there somewhere going alohomora, like and making things work when I hit a button. Like, you know, the fact that I can watch TV on my phone is is magic to me. Like the fact that people can sing and do the like, magic to me. I don't understand how it works. I don't understand any of it, but I know that it's there and I know that it works. I think the difference is like, you know, somebody knows how the phone works. Somebody understands the science behind the tiny little, okay, my first computer <laughs> had a 25 megabyte hard drive and I was like, oh my God, 25 megabytes, right? <laughs> um, and now I have in my pocket like this thing that has 32 gigabytes of data on it. Like it's Mm -hmm. in in a couple of years, it'll be a terabyte of data on it. And so the idea of, of how this technology works and how it functions, I know how to make it work on my end, but I don't understand all the guts inside of it and how in the world anybody ever made the science work to that degree to create these incredible things and make them do the things that they do. It's unbelievable to me. I was a television, you know, television, radio, film major in college, and I still don't understand how there's like you know messages that go through the air and then somehow it becomes law and order on my screen like I don't get that I don't understand how that works but I have faith that it does and so there are things like these kinds of things are the things that nobody can really explain like nobody can understand um you know how the ideas are conceived or how this works or you know what the function is behind it and I think that when nobody understands it that's when you know a lot of people can get uncomfortable with it and that's where a lot of the discomfort I think with faith at a certain at a certain level kind of will come up but for me like that is that is faith I have faith that that there is something that there's something out there working this magic because I've seen the end result of it. I've watched Law and Order on my TV. You know, like I've seen the end result of it, even though I don't understand how it got there and I don't understand how it works and maybe nobody else understands how it works. <laughs> I, it does work. You know, it is there. So I have faith that there is a connective, you know, philosophy out there that maybe someday we as humans will understand, but right now we don't, you yeah. know, and, and you think about two, 300 years ago, you had to have so much more faith because there was so much less that anybody understood about how the world worked, Right. you know? And, uh, and so having that faith, like for me, I don't see any difference between, you know, my faith that there is that something out there can explain it mm-hmm. and somebody else's faith, you know, 300 years ago that the sun rose every morning, you know, I think maybe at that point and maybe 300 years ago, they knew why the sun rose. I don't know. Um, but when was Copernicus? I don't know. I don't know. What it is. Um, <laughs> But like pre-Copernicus, you know, um, the, the, you know, people just knew that the sun rose and they maybe didn't know why. And they said it was a God that did it. And they made up some, you know, some way of framing that explanation so that they could sleep at night, you know, without right. worrying about it. But it still was a faith that you knew the sun was going to come up and something out there was making that happen. You just didn't know what it was. Yeah. And I'm well, OK with that. It, it is just interesting for me with this with this resistance or with this, mm-hmm. this struggle this week, because so much of it goes back to rising strong because still yeah. at the core of this is lovability and divinity, you know, mm-hmm. which we talked about right. with Brene Brown a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still struggling in that space, but it's coming clearer, you know, yeah. like if you're at the bottom of a muddy river and you're getting closer to the top and the water's clearing up, like, I think I'm getting closer. Okay. Which is mm-hmm. good. So, yeah. But I'm no, glad just, that you, I'm glad you had no resistance this week. It's great. No, I loved it. I loved it. So what's your action for this week? What are you so going to do? 
this is going to be a bad week for homework because I'm traveling for work and I really mm-hmm. don't want to, but I am going to make a damn gratitude list. <laughs> um, and then there's this idea forming in my mind and I want to explore it more. So if all ideas are living entities, then dark ideas needs homes too, right? Mm-hmm. Just like some of the black dogs at the shelter that have a hard time getting adopted. Yeah. And I've been so stuck on a preset idea of being open to the kinds of ideas I want to work with instead of being open to the kinds of ideas that genuinely want to work with me. So I think I've been going about that the wrong way. And I want to think about it more and see what shape it takes. Because ideas can be powerful, even if they're made of something other than fairy dust. And as much as I'd like to be, I don't think I'm a fairy dust sort of girl. <laughs> Volcanic ash, maybe? Sure. <laughs> maybe moon rock. <laughs> Which is also miraculous. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I just want to find more ways of tapping into that and being more open to ideas without preconceived notions of what those ideas should look like. No, I like that. And I think that that's really good. I mean, you've been fighting this idea of darkness. You yeah. know, you've been you've been kind of in this space where you're just like, I want to be light and airy and Elizabeth Gilberty and all this kind of stuff. And um, but, you know, somebody has the job of being Elizabeth Gilbert, you right. know, right. And you have the job of being Dr. Kelly Jones. And so the things that you do and the things that um, that you have the ability to see through, you know, I mean, the the idea is looking for the right midwife, you know, mm-hmm. and you you may be the midwife that brings forth the ideas that may have a little more darkness to them, but there is a need for those stories. People need those stories. Right. So I don't think that there's anything, uh, you know, anything better or worse mm-hmm. about the kind of idea that comes to you. It's just that this is the thing. So I'm, I'm excited that you're kind of like learning to embrace the shape of the idea that comes to you rather than being like, nope, you're not right. I don't want to do that. And waiting for something that maybe isn't a fit. Yeah, I think so, too. So what about you? What's your homework? What's your yes? Oh, God, I got so many things to get done. (laughs) Um, And not many of them are creative. But once they're out of the way, it's going to open up the space for the creative. I have I have certain things that, you know, paperwork things and Mm -hmm. and college applications I got to help the kid with and all this kind of stuff. So my homework is clearing the deck. You know, like clearing the space, getting these things off my to-do list. I have cleared so much out. I've been digging myself out of of hell for the last, you know, so long. Fixing all the things that he left behind that were broken for me to fix. You know, um, all the things that he told me he had done that he never did. I had to do that, you know. So there's so much stuff that I've cleared out. And now I'm going to get the last little bit of it. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to get it clear. And my life is just going to be like this clean slate from that point. So I'm really looking forward to having that. It's wonderful. and, uh, and that's going to be really great. But before we finish up today, I do want to say um, we have somebody working with Chipperish who is the Chipperish Apprentice. Yay! Her name is Lauren Perlowski. She is editing this episode right now. And I didn't tell her I was going to shout her out on the show. So <laughs> there you go, Lauren. How you <laughs> thank doing? you, Lauren. Um, thank you, Lauren. So Lauren is going to be working with us. She is editing some of the shows. She's going to be handling some of the social media. Um, and maybe, maybe if she wants to, she can share her, uh, her Twitter handle with us so everybody can say hi and give her a welcome to Chipperish. So uh, Lauren was in my screenwriting class in the spring and uh, and I absolutely adored her. She's incredibly talented. I think someday she's going to be really famous. I think she may be the next Tina Fey. I'm not really oh, sure. Oh, awesome. Just, just putting that out there as a possibility. Um, or the first Lauren Perlowski. Um, but, uh, but she's really fantastic and I'm so grateful to have her working with us. So thank you, Lauren, and welcome. Welcome, Lauren, and thank you so incredibly much. And apologies for all of the editing you're going to have to do in this particular episode. (laughs) 
because I think I messed up about 417 times. Uh, <laughs> We're so that's glad to have your help. All flawless to everybody who's listening because of Lauren. So. <laughs> so thank you, Lauren. All right. So every week we end with a closing quote. And this week is my turn. The quote comes from Mary Ann Williamson, who said, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Big Strong Yes is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To find out how you can support Big Strong Yes and everything Chipperish Media does, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks, y'all.